Well, hey there, and welcome to Live It Out, a podcast here at Centenary Church in Lexington, Kentucky, about faith and the 21st century. What does it mean to live as followers of Christ in a post-Christian society today? Each week, we're going to have the amazing opportunity to talk with people across the globe who are committed to walking through this life with Jesus and hear their thoughts and experiences of the Christian life in an ever-changing and hurting world. We hope that this encourages you and helps you in any way. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. Welcome to Live It Out. I'm James Williams, lead pastor of Centenary Church, and each week we talk with some amazing Christian leaders around the world. I want to thank you for joining us today. Be sure to review the podcast and subscribe so we can let you know about some upcoming episodes. We have some things coming up in the next few months that you will not want to miss. And today I'm excited to have as this week's guest, Dr. Tim Tennant, president of Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. He's also the author of the book, For the Body, Recovering a Theology of Gender, Sexuality, and the Human Body. He's a frequent conference speaker around the country and throughout the world. And prior to his coming to Kentucky, to Asbury Theological Seminary, Dr. Tennant was the professor of world missions and Indian studies at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He's an ordained uh, United Methodist minister. He's pastored churches in Georgia and several of the largest churches in New England. And he also, of course, is the author of numerous books and articles and a highly respected theologian and leader in the church today. Dr. Tennant, welcome to Live It Out. Thank you, James. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much. I know that your schedule is such that you are in a lot of places, uh, sometimes maybe feeling like you're in more uh, more than one place at, at a time. So I appreciate so much your giving us some time today. And I, and I have to say, um, Tim, I have been in ministry for 30 years, and I've been a Christ follower longer than that. And I've now read the book For the Body over four times, and each time I have found myself wishing I'd had it long before now. And well, thank you. Yeah, and and Christians and and even even clergy right now are now in desperate need of a biblically biblically grounded understanding of humanity and our physical bodies. You're finding that too, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, this it's, I think it's a needed book for this time. Obviously, we have a lot of face a lot of challenges and. I was hoping this book could um, could speak to those challenges. Well, it absolutely does. And I think the key word in this title is recovering. And uh, it's interesting to me that um, you don't claim to be providing a really comprehensive theology of the body for Protestant Christians, but really what you're doing is trying to explain some of the basic principles around how we construct a theology for ourselves about the body. And and I know you're trying to give us some advice uh, for looking for help around that that deeper understanding. Can you can you talk a bit more about what brought you to writing writing this particular book? Well sure. I, I of course I've been a part of the church conversation now my whole ministry has been framed by so much of these conversations and as an evangelical Christian, Bible-believing Christian, I, I felt like that the biblical response has mostly been framed around what we're against 
and therefore we tended to lose traction on really explaining, I think, what was the positive vision, what are, what are we for, not what is what we're against. And so this book was written to try to lay out kind of the positive vision of the body and why the body, having a good theology of the body is so important as a foundation for addressing these issues and not simply being reactive, but being more proactive in how we uh, talk to the church about why Christians believe what they believe. Yeah, you you talk about the seven key building blocks of the theology of the body. Can you say a little bit about that? Well, I was I was thinking in my own lifespan, yours too, James. I I, I lived through um, you know nineteen sixties with the um, you know sexual revolution in the seventies, all the disputes over abortion with Roe v. Wade in nineteen seventy three, and then later when in the eighties, the, the rise of um, you know adultery, broken homes, and then. Of course, with the computer, uh, digital pornography, and you know, violent first-person killing video games, you know, it just goes on and on. Of course, sure. and then uh, obviously more recently with you know homosexual marriage and gender reassignment. And so I, I think it dawned on me at some point that all of these we're not really you know struggling against fifteen different issues, but they're really related to the the body and how we view the body. And so I really kind of tried to step back and uh, ask, what are the foundational points around which, you know, all Christians can build a proper understanding, then we can answer not only these issues, but 10 more that haven't been raised yet. <laughs> They'll be raised in the generation to come. So the seven building blocks uh, were not meant, as you said, to be you know the, the last word on it, but just seven basic building blocks. And I actually invited uh, others to write other books that could explore in more detail these issues. But I did lay out in the book uh, seven building blocks. And having you know, I'm pretty well acquainted with a lot of the books on this theme, and none of the books really laid out, you know, what are the foundation stones. And so I felt like it was helpful to lay out for the reader some of the basic building blocks out of which the Christian position has arisen. So that's why I eventually decided to organize the book around, you know, seven key building blocks. Yeah, and it's it's so helpful. I think especially right now, when we are experiencing, even within the body of Christ, um, this idea that um, personal rights are our feelings really are to to be over moral boundaries and and you know one of the things that I even hear from folks in the church today, Tim, is that well, the Bible really doesn't cover these kinds of issues that we're facing in in the current world and and that's just not true is it no it's not i've i actually think the bible from from the beginning genesis all revelation lays out very consistently a, a view of the body that speaks to all these issues and and the, of course the bible is not written to be a you know tool book to answer all of our you know contextual questions but to actually lay out a theology that that out of that, we can apply that to a number of issues. So I actually believe the Bible does speak really strongly to these issues. And even if some of the verses we often quote are taken out, it to me doesn't really change the fundamental strength of the biblical argument about the body. And I think we're seeing actually a emergence of what we call neo-Gnosticism. And as you know, James, in the early church, the, the church struggled a lot against a Gnostic views of the body, which which basically said that the, you know, the real you is the person is, is that someone inside of you, and it's not really connected to your body. And this comes out a lot in Scripture, and I think we're just seeing a reemergence of that challenge. And so uh, churches 
I need to really get back on their feet again and to um, recognize the importance of the body in Christian theology. Well, I've said over and over again since this book has come out and I've read it that every every Christian needs to read this book right now. I've not found anything else like it, um, and I have searched because of uh, what I think that clergy and church leaders really need to face right now. And I especially think that every clergy person needs to needs to read your work here because I believe that it is straight from the Holy Spirit. Um, you've done a w- marvelous job academically, of course, but I really believe that your message in this book is, is from the Holy Spirit. And as a church leader, uh, Tim, it's it's very difficult right now to, to overcome some of the the question marks that are out there about whether or not we're being grace-filled if we don't embrace that current Gnostic idea that you're talking about. What are some ways that, that you're seeing that we could really do that and uh, be truthful but also, but also be grace-filled at the same time? Yeah, it's always a challenge, and I think it's really important for the church to set a good tone because uh, sometimes people who are struggling with these issues don't always feel like they can hear the church's message because we have been mostly telling the world what we're against. And I think the culture is fairly well aware, at least in the terms of the larger evangelical witness, that the church is against some of these uh, practices. But they don't really understand why, you know, a socially driven uh, view of the body, for example, socially driven sexuality rather than rooting our body is so important. So part of this book is, to, is really, it lays out basically four theological visions from Scripture. One is the uh, the created body. What do we learn about our body from the, from creation? And then the second vision has to do with the related body. How are our bodies related to other bodies through marriage, through childbearing, etc.? And then also what I call the sacramental body. In what way is our body a sacramental presence in the world? And then finally, what does it mean to be a discipled body? How do we disciple not just people's minds, but actually their whole body and thinking Christianly about our place in the world? So, for example, in the, in the creation, I argue that not only does the, the Scripture teach that creation is good, uh, and therefore our bodies are good, but our bodies are actually signs or pointers to the incarnation itself, and even Christ. Of course, as this season of the year celebrates, he comes in a body. He manifests that God manifests Himself in the body, and the Wesleyan tradition, especially, is uh, as you know. So, uh, one of our rich heritage is the importance of the means of grace and how the you know the grace message of the church to the world. We argue that God has provided means of grace where people can receive God's grace. Well, all the means of grace happen in and through the body. And so, you know, listening to Scripture happens in the body. You hear Scripture. You take the Eucharist with your body. You're baptized with your body. All the way down the line, every single, even our service to the poor, is all happening through our body. And so the Bible really does root um, the, the very way that grace comes from the world, both in incarnation and in our own lives, all happens through the body. And so I actually believe that this book is the— um, is, is a great foundation for approaching the world with grace and seeing the vitality and the importance of the, of the body and in our interactions with the, with the world. Absolutely. It really is. Um, I believe too, that, um, it's grace filled to, 
to have people know the truth. And my experience with um, the LGBTQ community right now, and I'm having uh, many conversations even with folks in that community, is that um, some of the things that society is now saying uh, to them uh, that this is a this is a pathway that's that's good for them. A lot of folks are finding that that pathway is not, and that uh, they've been sold a bill of goods <laughs> in some ways. And uh, I believe that as the church, uh, not stating all the time what we don't believe, as you said, but really stating the truth as a, a way of ministry and as a way of loving folks and caring for people. Um, because there really is um, an aspect of this that folks struggle with as far as mental health as well. And I know that that's a bit controversial, Tim, but could you say a little about that? Well, I think the church, you know, it's a two-way street because in all these matters, we, we also learn a lot. And I think one of the things that as a church that we've learned through the interaction with people that struggle with their sexuality is that the Protestant movement especially has really downplayed the importance of celibacy. And so one of the things that I argue in the book, and like the, the chapter has the most response from people, has been the appreciation for the emphasis on on uh, renewal of the importance of celibacy. And so there are a lot of Christians that, um, that have struggled with their sexuality, and they've discovered, in fact, uh, God's using that to recover um, you know same same-gender friendships and also— a renewed call to celibacy. So a lot of people that are called side B Christians who are, you know, faithful to the gospel, want to serve the Lord, but they do struggle with this with the same sex attraction, and they're discovering the the new beauty of uh, of celibacy. And so celibacy has been over has been neglected. A lot of churches have um, singles groups that are really geared toward helping people, you know, find a a partner rather than really seeing the call of celibacy. So there are a lot of ways, I think, in both directions that we obviously have a message, um, a beautiful message for the world and helping people, but also to respond and say, you know what, we've we've also neglected, uh, I think even marriage, I think a lot of the, uh, you might say that how people understand marriage in the church is often based on cultural ideas of marriage. You know, it's, it's transactional, it's very much based on utilitarian ideas rather than the, the covenantal view and vision of marriage as being a, a pointer to um, Christ and the church. And so I do think that there's a lot of ways in which, whenever the church is challenged with something like this, we should also view it as an opportunity for us to learn and grow and to go back to Scripture more and to think deeply about things. So I think there have been a lot of good things that have come through this, and hopefully as the next generation unfolds, um, We'll come out on this with a with a much more a stronger message, and also help those that um, you know have been lost in this you know, this really this deep um, morass that our culture is in right now. Absolutely, and and in the book you compare um, both marriage and singleness um, to 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 icons. Do I remember that correctly? That's true. I, I use the word icon uh, because I, I love the Eastern. Uh, Church's use of icons as a, as they actually view that those paintings not as as like you know decorative paintings that we often think about paintings, but actually as windows into heavenly realities. And so the icons are often symbolic, and they have um, various ways they symbolize deep spiritual truths. And so they're meant to be spiritual pointers. And um, so the, the icons were never you know regarded as as uh, idols or whatever, but actually just a window into into heaven. Actually, so. 
I think in some ways, part of the book argues that all the physical manifestations of our life in terms of our you know, daily activities, I mean, the, book whole, the whole book ends with talking about even the daily uh, activities of life um, are all meant to reflect deep spiritual mysteries. And so the word icon is, uh, I think, a great word for it, um, as looking as our bodies are windows and spiritual realities. Uh, other people just rather just use the word, you know, uh, pointer to a mystery. And it doesn't really matter, but I like the word icon. I think it's a great uh, Christian term that we need to reclaim. Yes, absolutely. I loved that. And, you know, Tim, I love the fact that you are um, you're not just a seminary president, but you you really do have a pastor's heart and uh, you understand what uh people who are leading churches today are dealing with from the standpoint of having to do ministry in the, in this context. And, and as a pastor and a clergy person, if, if someone were to come to you and say, you know, I, I really love Jesus and I, and I've given my life to Christ and I believe in Christianity and I want to live a life of faith. I want to live the life that God's called me to live, but I do have this struggle with sexuality and I really feel like that's how God created me. And, uh, I'm going to, to enter into, uh, a same sex relationship just as an example. Um, that's a large spectrum. I know when we start talking about this, but what would you say to, to that person who's as a clergy person who's who's having that struggle and genuinely has tried to live a life uh, of purity and a life that that we we believe that God calls us to in a better way but they they've really just decided that that's who they are well I think it goes back in some ways to um, book you know Augustine uh, even Going back even before that, they talked about the four, you know, marks or wounds of the fall. And I think that one of the things that I argue in the book is that, you know, all of us are born with various inclinations and or challenges in our life that, that tends to to push us away. In fact, Augustine defines sin as is incurvatus in se, that is the heart turned in upon itself. And so there are different ways in which um all of us, you know, have roots in our lives that Unless the Lord directs those or redirects those, we uh, we live in sin. We don't live according to His plan. So, I think that in some ways we made a mistake. I think at times by focusing on like this as a particular sin, when in fact there's a whole landscape of brokenness. And uh, in fact, one of the four marks of the fall was uh, they called it concupiscence, which just meant uh, sexual uh, orientations that are misaligned in some way. And so. Roman Catholic Church uh, calls it a disordered affection. Uh, some people like to use the term uh, an affection, you know, facing the wrong direction in the case of same-sex marriage. And so it's not that God has given us these affections, but the question is, um, you know, are they directed to the right end and to, that, that actually promotes flourishing? And so part of the pastoral work, I think, and that at Asbury, we have a number of students who struggle with same-sex attraction. And so we have uh, groups that help them to um, to orient themselves toward uh, faithfulness. And uh, they've found that. We have many testimonies of students who have said they have you know, rediscovered the power of celibacy or rediscovered the power of uh, same-gender friendships. I did a lot of research in the book about what's happened to um, same-gender friendships in our country. And it's been... Um, one of the real declines uh, that we are very concerned about is the the role of 
same-gendered friendships that are not nurtured the way they, they once were. And so a lot of these things are, I think, examples of um, disordered affections. And so part of the, the whole gospel work is to help us to you know order our affections aright, and that maybe you know one person might be their view of toward money, some else might be toward other things or lust or whatever. But there are many many ways in which we have to have our um, affections ordered, and so that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the great things of the Wesleyan message is that we don't believe simply in a justification where someone says, you know, I've accepted Christ, I believe the Bible, and I've I've been forgiven. We actually believe that in addition to that. God has sent His Holy Spirit to fill us, empower us, and to enable us to live in holiness. And so we actually do believe that that's another example of a major neglect of the church, which is often drifted down into a very small view of salvation as basically equated with justification rather than really seeing the power of the the Spirit. So we we believe that the Spirit-filled life is a very powerful, transformative thing for anyone's life, regardless of your on this issue or any other, to help to properly order us according to God's design. And I, I believe that God's design is what um, will always cause the greatest flourishing for anyone. So I would just help people. And, and there's so many great groups now where people can connect and meet other Christians that are living faithfully uh, and living in uh, Orthodox. There's a whole group called uh, Revoice, which is a, a gathering of what's called side B Christians. These are people that are, um, just as you said, they're, they struggle with their sexuality, but they are determined to live faithfully according to the gospel and live uh, faithfully according to God's Word. And they read God's Word. They read what it says about same-sex marriage, which is universally um, condemned in the Scriptures. And so they, they've asked God to help order them in, in new ways. And so I really believe that this is, um, you know, again, a positive message and a lot of Christians are um, are finding this is a message of hope uh, for for them. It absolutely is a positive message, and that's so beautiful. I appreciate the way that you explain that. You know, Tim, and a, a couple of times that I've read the book now, I've been a part of a, a group discussion. We've read the book together, and then we've come back together as a as a group of people to to talk about the book and discuss the book. And um, both times this particular issue came up, and I'd love for you to speak to it. And that is, as you talk about the our theology of marriage, and uh, that's a that's a huge topic, and uh, and as Christian people, and as believers, but um, the the issue came up both times in these group discussions about the fact that uh, at least uh, mainly in the Old Testament, that God's people, the the cultural context was that pol- uh, polygamy was practiced and okay. Would you would you say a few words about that? Well, yeah, it has a lot to do with how we understand Scripture, but um, one of the great attributes that God shows to us is His uh, long-suffering and His, what we call, progressive revelation. So the fact that in the garden, um, God established, you know, and created man and woman, Adam and Eve, um, means that we actually have in the garden a, a kind of blueprint for Christian marriage that eventually gets unfolded and, and points to ultimately Christ in the church. And so there are, of course, many examples in the Old Testament where a lot of tragic things happen. Uh, there's, you know, If you look at the examples of polygamy, a lot of it is full of a lot of pain and difficulties and challenges. <laughs> and I think that um, one of the, my Old Testament professors once uh, said to me quite wisely, he said, uh, don't forget the Old Testament does not always tell us what 
um, should happen. It just tells us what happened. <laughs> so sometimes the Bible was painfully, um, you know, just clear about what, what happened. And so there are cultures that were polygamous, but uh, ultimately, by the time we get to the New Testament, um, uh, even the New Testament, actually, polygamy wasn't disavowed to- so, totally, but they did uh, limit uh, leadership in the church to, uh, you know, a man with a husband but one wife. And so it, it was clear that the New Testament um, was charting away away from polygamy and um, and moving toward, you know, the ideal was uh, between one man and one woman. So I think that's actually the, the best Christian vision. God has a lot of patience with us uh, throughout, you know, our journeys and God, um, you know, gives us a lot of grace throughout the process. But the church, I think, has wisely said uh, that, you know, in fact, when someone in the early church, if someone came to Christ, it was polygamous. They didn't ask them to divorce those wives, but they, were, they weren't able to serve in leadership. But when they raised their children, they raised their children to be monogamous and to, um, you know, to have just one, one spouse. And so I think that shows that the church was, uh, was you know, powerfully able to deal with contextual realities. There are many examples of um you know, Muslim families in, in East Africa, for example, have many, many wives or multiple wives. And so when they come to Christ, they they come into the church with all their wives, but then they're instructed at that point to um, to raise their children uh, to to be, uh, you know, one, one man, one woman. So I think the church has, uh, you know, shown on one hand grace toward these contextual dynamics, but also uh, I think lifts up the ideal of one man and one woman because they've put it back in Genesis itself. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for speaking to that. And and again, I just can't say enough uh, that I highly recommend this book to our listeners today. I also really want to recommend this book to any parents who are listening who might have a college student in their home right now. As I read this book, I uh, thought over and over again, what a what a wonderful uh, book this would be for college students. Uh, they have so many ideas coming at them right now about the theology of our bodies, the theology of marriage, uh, celibacy. So I want to encourage you uh, in that. Dr. Tennant, thank you so much for joining us today, and God bless you in your continued work. Thank you so much, James. May the Lord bless you at Centenary and all the good work of your church there, and it's outreach around Lexington, around the country. So may the Lord bless you as well. Thank you. The book is For the Body, Rediscovering a Theology of Gender, Sexuality, and the Human Body. You can find it wherever you shop for books and, of course, on Amazon. And again, I'd highly recommend that you pick up this book soon. Thank you for listening today. God bless you. Keep praying and keep the faith. Live It Out, Faith and the 21st Century is a production of Centenary Church in Lexington, Kentucky. Join Lead Pastor James Williams each week as we engage Christian leaders around the world. Be sure to subscribe today and leave a review of our podcast. To connect with us further, visit our website at lexchurch.com. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to joining you next week. Until then, love one another and live it out.